Okay, we are back. So Amy is not here today, and that's actually my fault. I wasn't feeling well this week, and so we couldn't record, but Chris, you're back. I'm back, and I'm happy to be back. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's Saturday night, which means it's weird recording time, and it also means that I'm going to have to rush to get this out for Tuesday, but that's okay. How are you feeling? I'm feeling a lot better, thank you. I'm not even going to get into what, what what was going on. I'd rather you didn't. No, no one does. But I'm I'm doing a lot better now, so thank you. We have a lot to talk about tonight, so I think we should just get right into it. Okay. Um, how are you? Are you doing good? I'm fine. Okay. Thank you for Any, asking. Anything you want to chat about before we start? Nope. Okay. Do you want to say prayer? Nope. Lord. Please guide our conversation. Thank you for for letting us sit down here and talk about the Bible and your word and, and letting us share it with with everybody who's who's gonna listen. Thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for guiding us and continue to guide us to be more like you every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's get going. We are gonna be talking we're gonna be finishing up this part of Second Kings and in turn Second Chronicles because they kind of go hand in hand since we're talking about it chronologically. Okay. Let's do a recap of First Kings chapters 17 through 22 uh, and then also Second Chronicles chapters 17 through 21. King Jehoshaphat initiated a nationwide religious education program throughout Judah, which is the southern kingdom. The prophet Elijah and the widow and try to remember back the widow was the the woman who had no food for her and her son but the lord provided for them uh, the lord brought the widow's son back to life elijah went up against 450 prophets of of baal only the lord responded by flashing fire down from heaven and burning up the young bull Jezebel was the most evil woman in the Bible. She wanted Elijah dead for what he did to her false prophets. And then finally, Elijah appointed Elisha his apprentice. Okay. Could you? We're going to read about Elisha. It's a little insert in our Bible. Few, quote, replacements, end quote, in Scripture were as effective as Elisha who was Elijah's replacement as God's prophet to Israel. But Elisha had a great example to follow in the prophet Elijah. He remained with Elijah until the last moments of his teacher's life on earth. He was willing to follow and learn in order to gain power to do the work to which God had called him. Both Elijah and Elisha concentrated their efforts on the particular needs of the people around them. The fiery Elijah confronted and exposed idolatry, helping to create an atmosphere where people could freely and publicly worship God. Elisha then moved to, Elisha then moved in to demonstrate God's powerful yet caring nature to all who came to him for help. He spent less time in conflict with evil and more in compassionate care of people. The Bible records 18 encounters between Elisha and needy people. The miracles that occurred during Elisha's ministry put people in touch with the personal and all-power God. 
Okay, thank you. Okay, so we're going to get into 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Now the prophets Elijah and Elisha were traveling together. The Lord was instructing Elijah to travel alone for the rest of his journey, but Elisha would not leave his side knowing the Lord was going to take Elijah away. And if you could please read, it's 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and, chari and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returned to the bank of the, of the Jordan River. He struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Then the river divided, and Elisha went across. Isn't that something? I it just you can picture it, huh? Yeah. And it's just so amazing. So some of the notes from that section, Elijah's cloak was a symbol of his authority as a prophet. Elisha asked to be Elijah's successor or heir, the one who would continue Elijah's work as leader of the prophets. That is why he asked for a double share of Elijah's spirit. Deuteronomy 21:17 helps explain helps explain Elisha's request. According to custom, the firstborn son would receive a double portion of the father's inheritance. But the decision to grant this request was up to God. Elijah only told Elisha how he would know if his request had been granted. And then there's a couple more. God granted Elisha's request because his motives were pure. His main goal was not to be better or more powerful than Elijah, but to accomplish more for God. If our motives are pure, we don't have to be afraid to ask great things from God, but we must be willing to ask. And when we ask God for great power or ability, we need to examine our desires and get rid of any selfishness we find. Elijah was taken to heaven without dying. He is the second person mentioned in scripture to have this honor. Enoch was the first, and that was back in Genesis 5, 21 through 24. The other prophets may not have seen God take Elijah, or they may have had a difficult time believing what they had seen. In either case, they wanted to search for Elijah. Finding no physical trace of him would confirm what had happened and strength, strengthen their faith. The only other person taken to heaven in bodily form was Jesus after his resurrection from the dead. And then finally, Elisha did not strike the water out of disrespect for God or Elijah. He was pleading with God to confirm his appointment as Elijah's successor. So okay. there was a lot going on in that section. Yeah. I had taken uh, the striking of, with the cloak uh, on the River Jordan, or the Jordan River, mm -hmm. uh, that he was angry. No. According, according to this, he didn't strike it out of disrespect. <clears throat> he was just pleading. Okay. And I think that goes hand in hand with um, God knowing that Elisha wasn't being prideful 
Like he wanted, he really wanted to be the success of the success were not for his own glory, but for God's glory. And was Elisha actually Elijah's son? No, just no. his successor. Successor. Yeah. And then here's a note that was in the Bible. In fact, why don't you read this one, this note here. This chapter records four of God's miracles through Elisha, providing money for a poverty-stricken widow, raising a dead boy to life, purifying poisonous food, and providing food for 100 men. These miracles show God's tenderness and care for those who are faithful to him. When reading the Old Testament, it is easy to focus on God's harsh judgment of the rebellious and to minimize his tender care for those who love and serve him. Seeing God at work providing for his followers helps us keep his severe justice toward the unrepentant in proper perspective. Awesome. Okay, thank you. So that's what we have coming up. And then also we have... Am I yes. that right? Okay, so we have in our Bible another insert that I'm going to put on the social media sites called The Miracles of Elijah and Elisha. And it's really neat. It kind of breaks down what each of them did. So look for that on like Twitter and Instagram, etc. Okay, do you have any questions or comments before we move ahead? No. Second Kings chapter 2 verses 19 through 25. And these are Elisha's first miracles. The Lord instructed Elisha to throw a bowl with salt into a spring that was producing bad water, and the water was then made pure. Second Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, this is where Elisha helps a poor widow. The widow of a fellow prophet explained to Elisha how her creditor was going to take her two sons as slaves. Elisha had her gather as many empty jars as possible and pour her flask of olive oil into the empty ones. Every container was filled, and the widow could then sell the oil and pay off her debt. And then there's a couple notes for that section. Poor people and debtors were allowed to pay their debts by selling themselves or their children as slaves. God ordered rich people and creditors not to take advantage of these people during their time of extreme need. This woman's creditor was not acting in the spirit of God's law. Elisha's kind deed demonstrates that God wants us to go beyond simply keeping the law. We must also show compassion. And then, finally, the woman and her sons collected jars from the neighbors, pouring olive oil into them from their one flask. The olive oil was used for cooking, for lamps, and for fuel. The oil stopped flowing only when they ran out of containers. The, numbers, the number of jars they gathered was an indication of their faith. God's provision was as large as their faith and willingness to obey. Beware of limiting God's blessings by a lack of faith and obedience. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. 2 Kings chapter 4 verses 8 through 37. A woman from the town of Shunem invited Elisha to her house for a meal. Elisha became a regular whenever he passed through. And the woman and her husband built a small room just for him. Elisha wanted to reciprocate the kindness, but the woman never expressed any wants. Elisha had his servant Gehazi investigate, and he found the woman didn't have a son. So Elisha told the woman she would have a son at the same time the following year. 
and she indeed had a son, but sometime later he died, and word got to Elisha quickly. If you could please read 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, please. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. And then one other note says, The woman from Shunem realized that Elisha was a man of God, and so she prepared a room for him to use whenever he was in town. She did this out of kindness and because she sensed a need, not for any selfish motives. Soon her kindness would be rewarded far beyond her wildest dreams. Moving on to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 38 through 44. Elisha threw flour into a pot. Oh, okay, because now this is during a famine. It's going. We're going to learn about Elisha's miracles during the famine. Elisha threw flour into a pot which contained poisonous stew, and this flour cleansed it. There was also a man who brought Elisha a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread. The Lord told Elisha that this would feed 100 people with leftovers, and it did it sure enough did all right moving along second kings chapter 5 verses 1 through 19 naaman i'm gonna assume that's how you say it naaman yeah who was the army commander of adam israel's neighboring city suffered from leprosy he set out to israel to find the prophet who could cure his leprosy the king of israel received word and was not pleased knowing he could not cure it and could you please read 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8? But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Naaman arrived at Elisha's house formally with horses and chariots, but Elisha only sent out his messenger, informing Naaman his skin would be restored if he washed himself seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman didn't like this at all. He wanted Elisha to personally greet and heal him. It was Naaman's officers who calmed him down and told him to do as Elisha asked, and he was indeed healed. And then if you could please read verse 15. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha didn't accept any gifts. In the notes, it explains it a little bit more. Naaman, a great hero, was used to getting respect, so he was outraged when Elisha treated him like an ordinary person. A proud man, he expected royal treatment. To wash in a great river would be one thing, but the Jordan was small and dirty. To wash in the Jordan, Naaman thought, was beneath a man of his position. But Naaman had to humble himself and obey Elisha's commands in order to be healed. Obedience to God begins with humility. 
We must believe that his way is better than our own. We may not always understand his ways of working, but by humbly obeying, we will receive his blessings. We must remember that one, God's ways are best. Two, God wants our obedience more than anything else. And three, God can use anything to accomplish his purposes. And then also in the notes, Naaman left in a rage because the cure for his disease seemed too simple. He was a hero and he expected a heroic cure. Full of pride and self-will, Naaman could not accept the simple cure of faith. Sometimes people react to God's offer of forgiveness in the same way. Just to believe in Jesus Christ somehow doesn't seem significant enough to bring eternal life. To obey God's commands doesn't seem heroic. What Naaman had to do to have his leprosy washed away is similar to what we must do to have our sin washed away. Humbly accept God's mercy. Don't let your reaction to the way of faith keep you from the cure you need the most. And then this is regarding your question. Elisha refused Naaman's money to show that God's favor cannot be purchased. Our money, like Naaman's, is useless when we face death. No matter how much wealth we accumulate this li in this life, it will evaporate when we stand before God, our Creator. It is not our bank accounts, but our faith in Jesus Christ that will save us. So Elisha never wanted to put out the message that you could buy his favor mm -hmm. or you could buy your way to God. Okay, that totally makes sense. Any other questions for, for that part or comments? No. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 20 through 27. Gehazi was Elisha's servant. He felt as though there should be compensation from Naaman, so Gehazi ran after him. He lied to Naaman, stating that Elisha sent him. Naaman had no problem giving Gehazi silver and clothing, who then hid the gifts in his house. But Elisha knew exactly what happened. And if you could please read, please read 2 Kings 5.27. Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. When Gehazi left the room, he was covered with leprosy. His skin was white as snow. In the note, it said Gehazi saw a perfect opportunity to get rich by selfishly asking for the reward Elisha had refused. Unfortunately, his plan had three problems. One, he willingly accepted money that had been offered to someone else. Two, he wrongly implied that money could be exchanged for God's free gift of healing and mercy. And three, he lied and tried to cover up his motives for accepting the money. Although Gehazi had been a helpful servant, personal gain had become more important to him than serving God. This passage is not teaching that money is evil or that ministers, ministers should not get paid. Instead, it is warning against greed and deceit. True service is motivated by love and devotion to God and seeks no personal gain. As you serve God, check your motives. You can't serve both God and money. Anything there? No. All right. Second Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We learn about the floating axe head. The prophets wanted to build a new larger place to meet by the Jordan River. As they were cutting trees, an axe head fell into the river. And if you could please read Second uh, Kings chapter 6, verse 6, please. Where did it fall? The man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. 
Um, the note for there said the incident of the floating axe head is recorded to show God's care and provision for those who trust him. Even in the insignificant events of everyday life, God is always present, placed in the Bible between the healing of an Aramean general and the deliverance of Israel's army. This miracle also shows Elisha's personal contract with the students in the groups of the prophets. Although he had the respect of kings, Elisha never forgot to care for the faithful. Don't let the importance of your work crowd out your concern for human need. Moving to 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23, I just had a note for that section. Elisha's servant was no longer afraid when he saw God's mighty heavenly army. Faith reveals that God is doing more for his people than we can ever realize through sight alone. When you face difficulties that seem insurmountable, remember that spiritual resources are there even if you can't see them. Look with the eyes of faith and let God show you his resources. If you don't see God working in your life, the problem may be your spiritual eyesight, not God's power. I highlighted that, that note. I really like that quite a bit. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. All right, 2 Kings chapter 6, 24 through 7, 2. And once again, I just had a note for this section. When a city like Samaria faced famine, it was no small matter. Although its farmers grew enough food to feed the people for a specific reason, they did not have enough to sustain them in prolonged times of emergency when all supplies were cut off. This famine was so severe that mothers resorted to eating their children. Deuteronomy 28, 49-57 predicted that this would happen when the people of Israel rejected God's leadership. Okay, so like before, we're going to be getting into a lot of sections where it's important, but we're going to skim over it. Okay. 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3-11, through 11, I did not have anything. The same goes for 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 12-20. through 20. We're going we're gonna to skip over that part. Okay. Okay, I'm going to put up another insert from our Bible, and it's titled People Raised from the Dead. It's pretty neat. Um, I'll look for that on the social media channels as well. Moving on to 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. If you could please read 2 Kings 8, 1 and 2, please. 1 and 2. Elisha had told the woman whose son he had brought back to life, Take your family and move to some other place, for the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. So the woman did as the man of God instructed. She took her family and settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. And in the notes it said, This story shows Elisha's long-term concern for this widow and contrasts his miraculous public ministry with his private ministry to this family. Elisha exemplifies the kind of concern we should have for others. 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 7 through 15. Elisha wept, knowing the horrible things Hazael. I'm going to say it's Hazael. Yeah, it looks like Hazael. Adam's future king would do to the Israelites. In the notes, we learn when Elisha told Hazael he would sin greatly. Hazael protested that he would never do that sort of thing. He did not acknowledge his personal potential for evil. In our enlightened society, we might think that we are above gross sin and can control our actions. We think that we would never sink so low. Instead, we should take a more biblical and realistic look at ourselves 
and admit our sinful potential. Then we will ask God, then we will ask for God's strength to resist such evil. All right, so now we're going to run into a string of, of sections that we're going to skim over. 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 23 and 24, in the parallel verse, 2 Chronicles 21, 18 through 20. 2 Kings chapter 8, 25 through 29, in that parallel verse, 2 Chronicles 22, 1 through 7. 2 Kings 9, 1 through 13, 14 through 29, and 30 through 37. Uh, oh, excuse me, actually just 14 through 29. We're skipping over those. Okay. So let's go to 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. The death of Jezebel. Okay. The most evil woman in the Bible. And if you could please read verses 30 through 37, please. When Jezebel, the queen mother, heard that Jehu had come to Jezreel, she painted her eyelids and fixed her hair and sat at a window. When Jehu entered the gate of the palace, she shouted at him, Have you come in peace, you murderer? You're just like Zimri, who murdered his master. Jehu looked up and saw her at the window and shouted, Who is on my side? And two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Throw her down, Jehu yelled. So they threw her out the window, and her blood splattered against the wall and on the horses. And Jehu trampled her body under his horse's hooves. Then Jehu went into the palace and ate and drank. Afterwards, he said, Someone go and bury this cursed woman, for she is the daughter of a king. But when they went out to bury her, they found only her skull, her feet, and her hands. When they returned and told Jehu, he stated, This fulfills the message from the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Elijah from Teshbi. At the, at the plot of land in Jezreel, dogs will eat Jezebel's body. Her remains will be scattered like dung on the plot of land in Jezreel, so that no one will be able to recognize her. I guess I should have warned you before reading that section. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, I should have read it first, and then, yeah, you could have said something, because then I could have gotten my... Your bearings around it? Yes. Yeah, I guess it is a little uh, alarming when you read it the first time. And, and sadly, and maybe sickly, I laughed at it. She she was a horrible person. She really, really was. And I'm not sitting here and judging, but like she did some really, really bad things. <clears throat> but do you know that God still, we read about this last time, God still was, was waiting for her to repent. He, he, he hadn't shut her out. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And in the notes it said, Jezebel's skull, feet, and hands were all that remained of her evil life. No money, excuse me, no power, no money, no prestige, no royal finery, no family, no spiritual heritage. In the end, her life of luxury and treachery amounted to nothing. Power, health, and wealth may make you feel as if you can live forever, but death strips everyone of all external security. The time you set your life's course is now. While you still have time and before your heart becomes hardened, the end will come soon enough. All right, then we have 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 17, and the parallel verse, 2 Chronicles 22, 8, and 9. We're going to skip over those. 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 18 through 31. So King Jehu 
who was the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, tricked Baal worshippers into their temple. As soon as they all arrived, Jehu's men went in, killed them all, and burned their sacred pillar. They wrecked the temple of Baal, quote-unquote, converting it into a public toilet as it remains to this day. Yet Jehu did not destroy the gold calves. Hmm. Why didn't he destroy the gold calves? Let's read the notes. <clears throat> I love getting more information. The Bibles that have the notes are so helpful. Okay, why did Jehu destroy the idols of Baal but not the gold calves in Bethel and Dan? Jehu's motives may have been more political than spiritual. One, if Jehu had destroyed the gold calves, his people would have traveled to the temple in Jerusalem in the rival southern kingdom and worshipped there. Two, Baal worship was associated with the dynasty of Ahab, so it was politically advantageous to destroy Baal. The gold calves, on the other hand, had a longer history in the northern kingdom and were valued by all political factions. Three, Baal worship was anti-God, but the gold calves were thought by many to be visible representations of God himself. Even though God's law stated clearly that such worship was idolatrous. Like Jehu, it, it's easy for us to denounce the sins of others while excusing sin in our own lives. Does that answer... Does that make sense to you? It does. Okay. And then the last note in that section says, Jehu did much of what the Lord told him to, but he did not obey him with all his heart. He had become God's instrument for carrying out justice, but he had not become God's servant. As a result, he gave only lip service to God while permitting the worship of the gold calves. Check the condition of your heart toward God. We can be very active in our work for God, and still not give the heartfelt obedience he desires. Then we have 2 Kings chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 and the parallel verse 2 Chronicles uh, chapters 10 through 12. We're going to skip over those. 2 Kings chapter 11 verses 4 through 12 and the parallel mm -hmm. 2 Chronicles chapter 23 1 through 11. We're going to skip over that. 2 Kings chapter 11, 13 through 16, and the parallel 2 Chronicles 23, 12 through 15. We're going to skip over that. And then 2 Kings chapter 11, verses 17 through 21. We're going to skip over that. And once again, just to remind everybody, we didn't want to get bogged down in minutia. It's not the purpose of your of what you do, though. Yeah. You're trying to give people basic Bible yeah knowledge yes and then they can go back in and once they have that basic understanding like for someone like myself mm -hmm. and if they want to dig deeper into areas they can thank you you put that perfectly thank you very much but we are going to talk about second chronicles chapter 23 verses 16 through 21 which is the parallel verse to second kings chapter 11 verses 17 through 21 um, and if you could please read Second Chronicles 23, verses 16 through 19. Then Jehoiada... Is that how you... Jehoiada... 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 Now, he's a priest, just FYI. Okay, go ahead. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the king and the people that they would be the Lord's people. And all the people went over to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They demolished the altars and smashed the idols, and they killed Matan, 
the priest of Baal in front of the altars. Jehoiada now put the priests and Levites in charge of the temple of the Lord, following all the directions given by David. He also commanded them to present burnt offerings to the Lord, as prescribed by the law of Moses, and to sing and rejoice as David had instructed. He also stationed gatekeepers at the gates of the Lord's temple to keep out those who, for any reason, were ceremonially unclean. Awesome. Thank you. And in the notes it says Jehoiada restored the temple procedures and its worship services according to David's original plans, recorded in 1 Chronicles 24 and 25. So I just thought that was good to to put in there showing that these practices were being put back into play yeah second kings chapter 12 verses 1 through 16 joash is now the king of israel the lord was pleased he listened to jehoiada the priest yet he still did not destroy the pagan shrines in the notes it said joash didn't go far enough in removing sin from the nation but he did much that was good and right When we aren't sure if we've gone far enough in correcting our actions, we can ask, one, does the Bible expressly prohibit this action? Two, does this action take me away from loving, worshiping, or serving God? Three, does it make me its slave? Four, is it bringing out the best in me consistent with God's purpose? And five, does it benefit other believers? Um, The priests were negligent in using the sacred offerings to repair the temple. They were using it for their own needs. King Joash told them to knock it off, and and they did. And then if you could please read um, verse 8, please. So the priests agreed not to accept any more money from the people, and they also agreed to let others take responsibility for repairing the temple. And in the notes it said, What a contrast between the construction supervisors who needed no accounting of their use of the money and the priests who couldn't be trusted to handle their funds well enough to set some aside for the temple. As trained men of God, the Levites should have been responsible and concerned. After all, the temple was their life's vocation. Though the priests were not dishonest, they did not have the commitment or energy needed to finish the work. Sometimes God's tasks are better accomplished by devoted laypeople. Don't let your lack of training or position stop you from contributing to God's kingdom. Everyone's energy is needed to carry out God's work. And then the parallel verse is 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 1 through 16. And here we learn that it's, it's essentially the same, but we learn that the priest Jehoiada died at 130 years old. Okay. 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 17 through 22. Um, I just have a note for that part. God does not abandon us or lash out in revenge when we sin. Instead, he aggressively pursues us through his word, his spirit in us, the words of others, and sometimes discipline. He does not intend to destroy us, but to urge us to return to him. When you are moving away from God, remember that he is pursuing you. Stop and listen. Allow him to point out your sin so you can repent and follow him again. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 32 through 36. I, there was nothing there. We're going to skip over that. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Um, we just had a note. 
Although Israel had periodic breaks in their idol worship, they rarely showed genuine faith. It is not enough to say no to sin. We must also say yes to a life of commitment to God. An occasional call for help is not a substitute for a daily life or trust in God. And then we have 2 Kings chapter 13, 10 and 11, uh, chapter 12, 17 through 21, 2 Chronicles chapter 24, 23 through 27. That's the parallel verse. We're going to skip over those. Okay, moving to 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 25, um, Elisha has, has died. And in the notes it said, receiving the full benefits of God's plan for our lives requires us to receive and obey God's commands fully. If we don't follow God's complete instructions, we should not be surprised, surprised that we don't receive his full benefits and blessings. And the other note said, Elisha was dead, but his good influence remained, even causing miracles. This demonstrated that Elisha was indeed a prophet of God. It also attested to God's power. No pagan idol had ever raised anyone from the dead. This miracle served as one more reminder to Israel that it had rejected God's word as given through Elisha. How are you doing? Any comments, quotes, or anything? No, I'm just Not following. Quotes. Questions? No, following along, trying to make sure I understand. If, okay. I, if I have any questions, I'll ask you. Okay. Then we have 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. We're going to skim over that. The parallel verse, we had a note, which is 2 Chronicles chapter 25, 1 through 24. We are susceptible to sin after great victories. It is then that we feel confident, relaxed, and ready to celebrate. If in that excitement we let our defenses down, Satan can attack with all sorts of temptations. When you win, watch out. After the mountain peaks comes the valleys. We've mentioned that several times, that that's when Satan will attack you. Mm. Af after you've had a success. Yes. When you're, when you're feeling your high. Second mm -hmm. Kings chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, and then the parallel verse, Second Kings chapter 14, 15 through 16. We're going to skim over that. 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 27, we have a note. During this period of history, many prophets, such as Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Micah, and Isaiah, began collecting their prophecies and writing them under God's direction. They continued to preach about the worldwide significance of God's work as they looked forward to the future spiritual kingdom. God would use Israel's moral and spiritual decline to prepare the way for the Messiah's coming. Because the kingdom and military power of Israel would be stripped away, many people would be ready to turn to the good news that Jesus would bring. And then 2 Kings chapter 14, 17 through 22 in the parallel verse, 2 Chronicles 25, 25 through 28, we're going to skim over. 2 Kings chapter 15, 1 through 4, we have a note. To rise above the influence of poor models, we must seek better ones. Christ provides a perfect model. No matter how you were raised or who has influenced your life, you can move beyond those limitations by taking Christ as your example and consciously trying to live as he did. And then I did, didn't have anything for the parallel verse, which is 2 Chronicles 26, 1-15, mm -hmm. or 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 5. But we do have a note with, from the parallel verse, which is Second Chronicles 26, 16 through 21. It is true that pride goes before destruction. 
And that is from Proverbs 16, 18. If God has given you wealth, influence, popularity, and power, be thankful, but be careful. God hates pride. While it is normal to feel elations when we accomplish something, it is wrong to be disdainful of God or to look down on others. Check your attitudes and remember to give God the credit for what you have. Use your gifts in ways that please him. So is that to say that all pride is sinful? Like, if you graduate from college, shouldn't you be proud? And is that sin? I think you can be proud of an accomplishment, but understand that, you know, it was God who helped you do it. Just don't be so boastful of yourself. Like, look what I did. I did all this. Gotcha. You know what I mean? That's kind of what I was thinking. I, I think that's more what they're going for. Okay. Um, don't Don't hold it over others and gloat. Don't gloat. Don't think you're better than anyone else. Um, don't look down on others. Um, and just don't feel like it's all your glory. You're superior. Correct. Okay. I think that's what it is. Makes sense. That's what I have. That's it? That's it. Well, that's it. We went through 12, 15, 18 pages of notes. Hey, I was into it. Okay, so let's give out some information. The email is basicbiblestudy19 at gmail.com. Facebook.com slash my basic Bible study. That's where you're gonna find like all whatever our upcoming readings are, our current readings, our upcoming readings, it'll be on the Facebook page. Okay. Instagram is uh my basic Bible study, Twitter is basic Bible study, and then the website is mybasicbiblestudy.com. You can go there for all the like links to the podcast and then um, links to the social media sites. Very cool. Next time, we're keeping it very simple. I thought today was very simple. Oh, okay. So we're going to make it more simple? Yes, it's going to be more simple. Simpler? We're reading the book of Jonah and the book of Amos. That's it. That's it? The book of Jonah and the book of Amos. We're going to be out of Kings for at least this next session. Well, you say that like you say that it's easy, but for all I know, the book of Jonah and the book of Amos are these gigantic, ginormous things. No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think they're 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 that long. Well, maybe I'll be back for that. You might be. Who knows? With all of our schedules, it's whatever. There's the ice machine. If there's no noise coming out of that refrigerator, there's something wrong. The first couple times it happened, it scared the heck out of her. Listen. You have my opinion about the ice machine. <laughs> At least it's making ice. The first couple of times it it made ice or it kind of made that water noise. Yeah. She jumped out of her seat. And yeah. I don't even hear it anymore. She's like, what was that? I'm like, what? What was it? Yeah. She's like, that noise. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's just the fridge. Yep. So I think she's starting. And she sits with her back to the fridge. So she yeah, really it's, gets it's it. It's louder right here. Mm-hmm. But like. I don't even hear it anymore. Yeah, we don't hear it anymore. I don't know why. I'm thinking about getting ready for Brendan's... Our older boys' party. Our older boys' party. Yeah. yeah. We mentioned last time we've got graduation party, and we've... Oh, and the younger one did pass his driving test, so that yeah. was good. Uh, it's None of these are bad things. These are all just life event things that are that are really exciting and happy and joyous. Uh, but they take work to... To get ready for good work, though. Yeah. Nothing to complain about. Nope, I have nothing more. 
you answered all my questions. All right. You could have prepared me for the, the chucking of uh, Jezebel. <laughs> by, by and the, I, I love that, was it Jehu? Who splattered on the concrete. I love Jehu. Didn't even go out. He just stayed. He stayed in and told the others, listen, go check on her. Yeah, bury her since she was the daughter of a king. You know, he was willing to show her some respect. Yeah, she was really mad because Elijah. Yeah, Elijah had shown up her prophets, her, her false prophets, and then had them killed. Oh. Because she liked the false prophets because they kept, like, telling her what she wanted to yeah, hear. they were yes men. They were yes men, and, and, you know, she was very powerful because of that. And Yeah. Once they were all killed, she was mad. Yeah, I'm familiar with yes men. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you, you filling in. You're welcome. All right, we will catch you guys next time. Have a blessed week. Bye-bye.